Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care, the New Jersey Education Association, PNC, Grow Up Great, the Northward Center, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Russell Berry Foundation, making a difference and by the Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by bestofnj.com, all New Jersey in one place. And by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm Steve Adubato. You see my colleague, Nicole Swinerton, who is, in fact, the senior producer of Think Tank. Um, Nicole, we've got a whole range of fascinating guests on this edition of Think Tank. Why don't you set it up for folks? Absolutely. So first, we'll be joined by Nadine Wright Arbubacher from Nissan's, Nissan's Place, talking about the impact of COVID on children and adults in the uh, who are affected by autism. Now, by and the way, I want to be clear that Nadine has a son, Nassan, who is dealing with, who has autism, and she's a parent, and she understands it firsthand. Exactly right. She's been dealing with these challenges for his entire life, and she knows how important it is to get those resources to help mm. kids through this really, really challenging time. Who else on the show? The next interview we have is with Dr. Mark Merlin from MD1, which is an incredibly innovative program um, that brings physicians to the scene of accidents when uh, to be able to help people through emergencies. And it really has been saving lives in New Jersey. Mm. So that's a great program. Uh, we have Mark Dinglassen from Kumac talking about um, the importance of uh, helping families and the community get the food that they need, but also the holistic support that they need. Um, and then we have uh, Dave Ellis from the Office of Resilience, which is a part of the New Jersey Department of Children and Families, talking about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and right. uh, the support that our children need right now. Why don't we thank our funders? Sure, we would love to thank Horizon, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Turrell Fund, Reimagine Childcare, and PNC Grow Up Great. By the way, um, Terrell Reimagine Childcare, Reimagine Childcare is actually a previous program we did was called Right From The Start NJ, pre so previously known mm -hmm. as Right From The Start NJ, that is Imagine, Reimagine Childcare. It's all about childcare and why it matters so much. So uh, on behalf of Nicole and our entire production team, welcome to Think Tank. Hi, this is Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for joining us remotely. I promise at some point in the future, we'll be back in our studio at NJTV or our studio in New York City and Lincoln Center at WNET, the Tisch WNET studio. Uh, but right now we are honored to be joined by Nadine Wright Arbubacher, who is president and founder of Nassan's Place. Nadine, good to see you again. Good to see you as well, Steve. For those who may not know, Nassan's Place is, describe it. Nassan's Place is a 501c3 nonprofit organization helping to enrich and make a difference in the lives of children and families affected by autism in and around underserved inner city communities. And you care so much about this because? 
I live it every day. Nason um, Place was inspired by my son, Nason, who's 16 years old and nonverbal. And uh, the organization was started due to the lack of resources and programmings and supports in and around my urban in the city of Essex County. Hmm. You know, I met you through my sister, Michelle Adubato, who founded the Center for Autism. Uh, you were there at the opening, I remember. L let folks understand, what are most parents facing, for parents of children who are dealing with autism? What are the families often dealing with? They're dealing with uncertainty. They're dealing with behaviors that they may not have known to ever exist because they never experienced having a child with autism. They're dealing with delays in their children. They're dealing with emotional, physical, cognitive, sensory. Um, it's an emotional roller coaster. And I tell people all the time, you know, autism changed my life. It didn't stop me from living. It just allowed me to live a little differently. And it is a, it is a life changer, but you can still live. And it's just a matter of getting the right supports um, in your community to help you to live the life that you should be able to still live, even if you have a child with autism. You know, we're taping uh, toward the end of the summer. We'll be seeing later. Uh, COVID is very real and very painful and difficult for so many. How has it impacted children and families dealing with autism? Wow, where do I begin? Um, children already had the disadvantage of not having all of the supports that they needed. And they were able to now get them, whether they were in a school setting or outside getting um, various therapies from OT to PT to speech to some type of sensory um, events, whether it's going to the movies or going to an outing, that all changed. A lot of our children have regressed um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic because they can't do the routine things that they're normally used to doing. They are now tasked to staying in the house. And some of our children, a lot of our children don't understand it. All they know is in their minds, they wanna go outside or they wanna to go to school. They wanna do what they've gotten used to doing in terms of their routine. So this has definitely been a huge negative impact on the families, especially these beautiful and special children um, from educational to recreational to social to emotional. So they've been on a roller coaster. How have you communicated this to Nassan? You know, it's interesting because, you know, the first few days of Nassan not going to school, he didn't understand. So he would still get his book bag, get ready to go. You know, he still couldn't understand and he would gesture to go to the door because Nassan is not verbal. He doesn't speak through words, but he speaks through his actions. So he knows to go get his coat, to get his shoes. And, and for the first week or so, it, it, it was a little difficult for him because he knew that it was a certain time that he would be able to go um, to school. And that was his routine. And, you know, it, 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 uh, it was very hard in the beginning for him to adjust to that. But the good thing that, you know, Nason has, and, and I say this all the time, it's important to get those outside supports. He has an, he gets ABA therapy 20 hours a week. What is that? ABA is Applied Behavior Analysis. It's a okay. technique used to help right. address some of the behaviors in children. Um, and Nason's therapist actually lived maybe walking distance from us. So she was still able to support mm. some of his services through this. You know, speaking about support, um, we know about you not just from the Center for Autism, but also from our friends at the Horizon Foundation. Um, how important is corporate and foundation support for the work that you are doing every day? 
It is very, very important. Um, nonprofits, small nonprofits like myself, unable to be able to do our annual fundraisers. You know, we usually do a comedy for a cause every year to raise funds for the organization. We do a walk, um, one in the city of Newark and one in the city of East Orange. We were not able to do that. We also do an annual gala every year. These are our four um, fundraisers for the year and none of that is going to happen. Um, so we had to get creative in doing webinars. We had to get creative in doing fundraisers virtually. We did a talent show with children with autism back in May to try to raise funding. Um, we also did a talent show with some talent, local talent um, individuals and comedy to try to, to raise funds. But it's been challenging. Um, but the one thing I can tell you is Nason's Place is still making an impact in the community by providing for these families. Nadine, to you, to Nissan, and to every family, um, every child and every family of that child dealing with autism, uh, thoughts and prayers are with you, and you have an open invitation on our public television platform. Thank you so much, Nadine. Thank you, Steve. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Welcome back, folks. We're now joined by Dr. Mark Merlin, founder and CEO of MD1. Good to see you, doctor. Steve, thank you so much for having me. How would you describe MD1? MD1 is a free program to the citizens of New Jersey that puts highly specialized doctors in mobile vehicles on the roadside 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These mobile vehicles are full operating room and emergency departments that can be called by any police, fire, or EMS organization 24 hours a day, seven days a week, when people are trapped in cars or there are a lot of patients on the scene. Why is that so important, particularly in the age of COVID? Well, if somebody is trapped in a vehicle, they can't get to the hospital. We have great trauma centers and great hospitals in New Jersey, but if they can't get there because the car is mangled or because there's lots of patients on the scene, we have to start care that the hospital would normally deliver immediately. We can't wait to get there. There's something called the golden hour. So people have yeah. a very short time before they can bleed to death in cars. We actually go to the scene with our vehicles 24 hours a day, seven days a week with our doctors and prevent them from dying. We improve survival. And anyone can call us with no charge to any patient, hospital, or healthcare system. In fact, we are a group of doctors that represent all hospitals and healthcare systems because I take doctors who train anywhere. You came to us through our friends at the Healthcare Foundation. You got an emergency grant, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, uh, the foundation's been great for us. Talk about the importance of raising money for an initiative like yours. Well, since we don't charge any patients and since we're a profit, much of the equipment costs tens of thousands of dollars to actually provide to a patient. So we need groups such as the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey to actually provide donations and support to keep our mission alive and to make sure that we continue not to charge any patient. Our patients are at the most, at the greatest risk for death or a bad outcome. So we have to get there and we have to get there quickly and we have to be prepared 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Who are the doctors? The doctors start out by training in emergency medicine from any program in the state of New Jersey, we take them and then we give them an additional one year training program, how to treat a patient outside of the hospital, how to give blood to a critical patient, how to do surgical procedures, how to give extra medications beyond what the normal paramedics can do. Someone's stuck in a car, trapped in a car. There's some sort of serious situation going on. How do they communicate with MD1? So normally if somebody's in a bad car accident, 
the paramedics would come, greet them, and take them to the hospital. But imagine a scenario which happens every day of the week where somebody, the car is mangled, so they're trapped. We need to start the care right away. The police officer on the scene, the paramedic or EMT on the scene, or the firefighter on the scene can call our 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week dispatch number. That number simultaneously rings on, in the dispatch center, and then we get a tone for all of the doctors. We decide which doctor with an emergency vehicle, lights and siren that says EMS physician on the side, is closest, and they begin responding. The doctors take these vehicles home with them. They're with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when our tones go off, we see who's wow. closer, because obviously New Jersey's a very big state. So if somebody's trapped for an hour, sometimes it can take us a long time to get somewhere if we're way up in North Jersey and they're calling us for way down South Jersey. But let me ask you this. How do you deal with the COVID reality? Because you can't test someone right on the spot and find out if they're positive, negative, what the deal is. How do you deal with that? So COVID changed our mission slightly because the number of car accidents, which is good news, decreased because less people were on the road driving. But what we found is we had a lot of people who need to be intubated put on ventilators, right, with a tube down into their lungs. And that was very high risk for our paramedics. So what we did is we bought these spacesuits, something called PAPRs, P-A-P-R, and we wore them. So we actually intubated and put people on ventilators throughout New Jersey with PAPRs on so the paramedics did not have to be exposed to COVID. And we stayed on the road day and night to talk to the paramedics, especially during that critical March, April, May time period where we saw the highest numbers. We stayed on the road intubating people, putting people on ventilators around the clock to support our paramedics throughout the state. Final question. We uh, call our physicians, our nurses, our clinicians, those frontline workers who care for people every day, particularly during COVID heroes. How much of a hero, how, how when people use the word hero, it's often a cliche. What does it really mean? So to me, my hero's always been that EMT, that first responder, that police officer, that firefighter who goes to work every single day, despite the fact that there's a pandemic out there. They're risking the, their lives, they're risking the lives of their family, and they're treating patients without any regard, oftentimes for their own safety, even with proper PPE, they know there's always a risk and they come back day in and day out. Well, let's, by the way, let's plug the website again, Dr. Merlin of uh, MD1. Tell everyone again what it is while we put it up on the screen. Sure, www.md1program.org. Dr. Mark Merlin, who is the founder and CEO of MD1, I want to thank you for joining us and also our friends at the Healthcare Foundation for letting us know about the important work you're doing. Much of what we're about is profiling, featuring not-for-profits, making a difference, particularly during these challenging times of COVID. Thank you, doctor. Great, thank you so much, Steve. We'll be right back right after this. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. The essence of the Northward Center is ingrained in our values, thoughts, and actions. What began as a storefront on Bloomfield Avenue has evolved into a life-changing community nonprofit. The mansion is steeped in tradition, but with all of its grandeur, the true essence of the Northward Center is in the people we serve. So as the Northward Center commemorates 50 years of service, let's also celebrate the many opportunities yet to come. We're now joined by Mark Ding Lassan, who is uh, executive director of Kumak. Good to see you, Mark. 
Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for having me. I want to make sure that I said your name correctly. If I'm not, just correct it. It's Ding Watson. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're Let me welcome. ask you this. Your organization is, is called by some, by many, an anti-hunger organization. You're that, but you're so much more, correct? Correct. Describe it. Sometimes when people first hear of Kumac, um, they say, oh, you're that food pantry in Patterson. And then we then tell them we're an anti-hunger organization. And then where the so much more comes in is people then, sit, then ask me, what does that mean? And an anti-hunger organization is an organization that believes that ending hunger has nothing to do with giving people food. It believes that wrapping services around individuals and families so that one day they don't have to come to you for food um, should be the fixed point that we're working towards. Um, and that's how you effectively address and hopefully one day end hunger. You know, the other piece of this very complex set of issues that you and your organization are tied to and committed to has to do with childcare. And, and you came to us through our friends at the Terrell Fund. There's an initiative called Reimagine Childcare. Um, we initially had a series, uh, we're doing a long-term series called Right From The Start, NJ, all about quality and affordable childcare. What is, as it relates to Reimagine Childcare and the need for better quality, affordable, accessible childcare. How does that relate to the work that you and your colleagues do? That's a great question. And it's something that we get a lot actually because they always say, why, do, why does the food guy and the food organization care about um, childcare? For why? us, one of our biggest focuses as an anti-hunger organization is adverse childhood experiences, right? ACEs. And, correct, correct. Right. And, Adverse childhood experiences are a series of negative events in childhood, right? And when you chronically experience that, it turns into toxic stress, which drastically affects the way a child develops, the way an adult learns, lives, and grows in their community, and the way a community grows. So um, where that all ties together is when ACEs research was first developed, one of the main things that Dr. Anda and Dr. Folletti, who were the people who uh, executed the first um, ACEs research in 1998, one of the main points that they emphasized that we hammer on at Kumac is that in order for us to truly get people to a better place and um, truly address ACEs, we have to alleviate the burden of health on parents and caregivers. And that burden of health is, can you access fresh, healthy food? Can you cook breakfast um, the next morning for your kids? Can you find a job? Are you able to um, hop on a computer to find a job? Are you able to access healthcare? If we don't alleviate that burden of health, if we don't um, give parents and caregivers the support that they need, right, it becomes harder to create healthier communities. And that's our tie-in um, to childcare and childcare efforts um, that you're involved in because we are food and food is medicine for the communities. You know, it's so interesting, and, and you talked about, Mark, how not only how complex these issues are in terms of helping those who are most vulnerable, particularly our children, but from a public policy point of view, you ever notice that, that, that legislation or policy initiatives are often, they're, they're narrow, right? We're going to do this for this particular issue. We're going to solve that problem as if these issues are not multifaceted and multifactorial, if you will, 
I don't want to get overly complex or get on my soapbox, but what sure. you just described is the reality. And so mm -hmm. legislation that does this doesn't address this. Fair? Fair. Well, to that end, it's, it's interesting. Your organization, people often say, um, you give people food. Go back to the thing you said, food is what? You say medicine? Food is medicine. Make that case. We often talk about one of the one of the main things that you hear in the nonprofit sector, even prior to this pandemic, right? We talked about social determinants of health, right? And the things that actually make people healthy. If you look at research for social determinants of health, um, food accounts for about 25% of one of four major factors for social determinants um, of health, right? But it's amazing. But you have to be able to connect the food that you're giving to people to the health of that person and to the health of the community, right? That's why it's called social determinants of health. So, That's right. for those of us that are in food pantries, food banks, anti-hunger organizations, if we truly believe food is medicine, right, we would take a long, hard look at the food that we're pumping out. One of the more traditional views of food banking, emergency food, uh, food pantries is, um, oh, you know, I want to empty out my cupboard or let me grab what's cheapest on the shelf and give that to the canned food drive. But if our fixed point was actually food is medicine and we want to make people better and we want to make communities better, right? It, it changes the entire perspective of what food um, can do, right? Because we know how not only it will affect a child, a mother, a father nutritionally, but we know what it'll do to their psyche, to their idea yeah. of dignity, to the empowerment you can give a mom, knowing that she can make breakfast the next morning for kids. We have to look at this holistically, right? If we truly believe in social determinants of health, and if we truly believe in ending hunger, then this goes beyond just giving the cheapest can of beans that we can find. Very well said. And that is, in fact, why this Reimagine Child Care Initiative is so important and why we're involved in it. Mark Hammer, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Wish you and your colleagues at Kumac all the best. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. We're now joined by uh, Dave Ellis, who is Executive Director of the Office of Resilience, the New Jersey Department of Children and Families. Good to see you, Mr. Ellis. It's always good to see you too, sir. Absolutely. You, know, you have said that there are actually three pandemics in the year 2020. Describe what they are. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about COVID. I mean, COVID has taken over. Um, but there's also the, all of the issues that you see around protests happening in this country. And so you've got four years of racialized oppression and other things that are, are rising up. So there is a pandemic that's actually out there across this country, whether we want choose to recognize it or not. The third one is this thing called adverse childhood experiences, uh, the, the trauma that happens in everyday life. Um, when you put all three of those together, you end up with what I refer to as just a perfect storm uh, of stress and strain uh, within families across this country and indeed around the world. Yeah, adverse childhood experiences, otherwise known as ACEs. Um, let me ask you this, to, to what degree, I mean, we're doing a series, an ongoing series called Confronting Racism. The graphic will be up. 
um, but well beyond the graphic. Um, we're committed to an ongoing series that as opposed to, hey, we did that program. That being said, how prepared do you believe most of us citizens in New Jersey are, much less the nation, to confront racism in all its forms? Well, I'm glad to hear it's not a check off the box series or a check off the box event, Steve. There is no checking off the box. Yeah, well, I refer to that because there's lots of folks who want to do a, like a training. You'll do a training so you can check off the box and say, I did that. Uh, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about something much more in depth. Um, I think that if there is ever a time, this will be it. Um, the, the, you know, I just moved here from Minneapolis. Um, and I was there uh, when George Floyd uh, was murdered. I, I've been in and among a number of different things uh, across this country. If we can't talk about this now, we, we've had a real difficult time, I will tell you that. And part of that, from my perspective, is that we're not willing to just allow people who see things differently to even be in a conversation with us. We're not even willing to accept the fact that we are different, each of us, and that we all come with our own worldviews and our own perspectives, uh, and that we have a right to have those based on our world experiences. Um, and until we can accept that, it's really difficult to have the conversation. But I believe, I honestly hope that this is the time to have that conversation. Follow up to that, um, particularly as it relates to children. We're very invested in the initiative, an initiative called uh, Reimagine Child Care, formerly known as Right From The Start NJ, all about child care, all about quality, affordable child care, particularly in the age of COVID. Our friends at the Terrell Fund uh, are really pushing that, they're supporting it. Let me ask you this, when it comes to childcare, how much more important is it today, quality and affordable childcare, accessible childcare, particularly in the age of COVID? Hmm. Steve, it, what you're talking about is something that that's, has been important and will continue to be important. Uh, quality childcare, and I wanna really qualify what I'm saying here, um, when I say quality, I'm not necessarily talking about who's rated the highest. Right. I'm talking about what actually is quality in what the parents who are receiving the services say is quality. And so I, I like to put that out there first because I've, I've been in places where it becomes almost a commercialization where you're talking about a rating system that if you don't meet this goal, right. you obviously are not rated high enough. You don't have quality. There's... In my mind, there are lots of quality programs uh, and agencies, some of them just mom and pop, uh, that, that do tremendous work, especially around culturally specific programming uh, right. for those kids. And so trying to figure out how we balance quality and quantity uh, can get to be a, a juggling match that most of us don't want to enter into. I am absolutely a proponent of quality. I want to make sure that folks understand that during this time of COVID, this is an interesting time. Up until now, um, the, the saying was, uh, nothing's impossible. Uh, and then I hear this thing that says, things are only impossible until somebody does them. And in the time of COVID, we've learned that we can do a lot of things that we thought we couldn't do, that we thought were impossible. Uh, having quality uh, at all of its levels is something that we can do and we need to do for all of our children. Got a minute left. How optimistic are you? Hmm. I wake up every morning, somebody asks me, do I have hope? And I look at them every day, Steve, and I say, I am hope. Every day I wake up, I wanna be a beacon of hope 
for the people of New Jersey, for the people of this country. Because you know what? When I started out, realistically, the level of trauma I've had in my own personal life, the, the statistics, statistics say I should not be here. And yet, here I am. There is hope, Steve. There is always hope. Uh, I talk to people often that yellow is the color of hope. I, I'm always seeing yellow, Steve. Always. So well said. I have a feeling you just um, have given a whole bunch of folks watching right now a reason, or at least the reminder of the importance of hope. Uh, Dave Ellis, who is executive director of the Office of Resilience at the New Jersey Department of Children and Families. Mr. Ellis, I want to thank you so much for watching, uh, excuse me, for, for being with us and thank everyone for watching. We wish you all the best, Dave. I thank you, sir. I leave you with the word sawubona, the, the Swahili word that says, I see you. Thank you so much. I'm Steve Adubato. See you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, the Turrell Fund, supporting reimagined child care, the New Jersey Education Association, PNC, Grow Up Great, the Northward Center, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Russell Berry Foundation, and by the Fidelco Group. Promotional support provided by bestofnj.com and by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. The essence of the Northward Center is ingrained in our values, thoughts, and actions. What began as a storefront on Bloomfield Avenue has evolved into a life-changing community nonprofit. The mansion is steeped in tradition, but with all of its grandeur, the true essence of the Northward Center is in the people we serve. So as the Northward Center commemorates 50 years of service, let's also celebrate the many opportunities yet to come.